This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Hi. This is a study in literacy. I will be Luke for the next hour, and then I will disappear into the ether. Ooh. I kind of I like this. I'm going to count down to Luke's disappearance. Here's a question. When, when you think of the word ether, do you spell it A-E-T-H-E-R, or do you spell e. it E-T-H-E-R? It's E, because it's ether. Because Wouldn't it I'll, be ether if it was I'll, with an A? That's how I keep thinking it's, uh, it's done, where it's A-E, ether, but I read it online, and I hear someone say it, and they go, oh, ether. And yeah. I think it's sort of like what um, uh, Americans and Europeans do. Is it like the, the aluminum in that aluminum. aluminum? I don't even know which way we say uh, it. We say aluminum. I like aluminum. Well, it, it sounds better. Well, I mean, it's not aluminum. Everyone knows tin. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's car tin. makes is Subaru and Subaru. Yes. And even if you ask the manufacturers, they say, uh. Yeah, I started saying it Subaru because that's how my dad would say it. I say Subaru because that's what Possum Warren drove. I say Subaru now, but yeah. in my youth, I started saying Subaru. Actually, I say Subaru, but when I'm spelling it, I in my head goes Subaru <laughs> or whatever. That's easier to spell it from. Yep. As you do. You know, I'm Jill. If you've made it this yep, far, you, you you're will. wondering who I am. You will also be Jill for the next 59 minutes. I'm going to be Jill for a lot longer than that because I'm not disappearing into the ether. Okay. I'm sticking around to, you know, keep the station going, yeah. basically. Better to burn out than to fade away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm full of uh, deep quotes today. You do seem to be. Honestly, there's a lot of quotes in today's show. In today's show. In today's so, show. It sounds a lot more planned. Uh, it's mostly well, just me. I have two bits of paper in front of me and a note on a business card. So I'm like super duper prepared. I want to hear the business card first. No, it's the book I'm reading at the moment. Okay, what book is that? It is The Rug Maker of Mazar E. Sharif. Is that about someone who makes cars? I said rug maker, not car maker. Yeah. He makes rugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is about a refugee story okay. of going from Afghanistan to Australia. Wow. That'll be a fun one. I know. He's, he's currently in the refugee camp in Australia. He's been there for over six months. Okay. Um, by the photos and the blurb on the back, he does get into Australia. Oh, is this a uh, biography or autobiography? Yeah. So he's written it with Robert Hillman. Okay. Yeah. So wow. should be a good story. It's good so far. Well, that's good. A book yep. that you keep reading is uh, definitely I a good know. One. Especially a book that you keep reading. You think, I should really turn the light out because it's getting late and I've got work tomorrow. You think, oh, just one more <laughs> chapter will be fine. Or when you start reading it in the afternoon and then you go, oh, I need to turn the lights on. I've just yeah. been sitting here for the... <laughs> I did it the other morning. I picked it up on either Saturday or Sunday morning mm-hmm. and I thought, I'll, I'll just read a little bit. And then I was like, I'm really hungry and it was lunchtime. <laughs> Those are the best kind, best kind of books, though. They are, unless you've got other stuff you were planning to do with your day. I mean, I guess. We don't have to be productive all the time. And that's more catching up with friends when you almost miss that. Uh. My friend turned up at my door, though, because I was taking her. I was like, oh, look, it's that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm surprised that your friends don't start texting you saying, put down the book. <laughs> I know that it should send me three texts saying I'm on my way to yours. <laughs> I'd not got any of them because I'd been too busy reading my book. Well, there you go. Glowing yeah. review. Yeah. For, uh, for the rug maker of... Mazar Isharif. There you go. That's the town he was from. So what's the other stuff that you've got for us? 
All right, so because I'm enjoying my non-fiction book, I decided that I would print out from The Nerd Daily, written by G-W, J-E-E-W, uh, is five inspiring non-fiction books to start your new year. Okay. They're pretty good. Um, I will read her reviews of them because I haven't read the book, so I feel like I can't actually yeah. review them or reword what she said. Yep. Uh, the first one is If I Could Tell You Just One Thing by Richard Reed, who's the author, and Samuel Kerr, who's the illustrator. And she's written, if you could tell me just one thing, what would it be? What a great question to ask anyone, especially highly successful individuals. This book is curated from 50 of today's most remarkable, influential and successful individuals, such as Margaret Atwood, Sir Richard Branson and Stephen Fry, as well as Andy Murray and Sir David Attenborough. Oh, wow. That's quite an eclectic mix. I know, right? It's accomplished with beautiful pen and ink illustrations of each profile. It sounds like it's going to be a great book. Yeah. I mean, imagine if those guys could only tell us one thing that they've obviously done in that book. Mm. What would it be? Would it be work-related, love-related, family-related? Like, I've still been, pick? for a long time now, I've been wanting to read, um, uh, I don't know, has Stephen Fry done an autobiography? I don't know if I he's done an autobiography has, or not. But there are so many books uh, by him mm. or narrated by him. Yes. Uh, I've heard him do... Um, I can't remember what it was called, but he talked about um, the English language, mm. uh, and it was this uh, radio series that the BBC did, and they're all totally for free on Audible, I think. Yeah. I think you can just download all four series, and you'll get uh, the lovely sound of Stephen Fry, along with linguistic experts yeah. and things like that. My brother's got a bunch of his books. Mm, not sponsored, um, Which I haven't <laughs> read, because I, I don't enjoy his writing. Interesting. I know. I I don't think it's the writing. I think it's the topics he picks and nothing that I'm greatly interested in reading. But if he wrote an autobiography, I think I'd enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So far, the uh, I've learned more about his life through uh, watching QI. Yes. <laughs> My brother may have all those books as well. I, I love when someone, unironically, because that's just how they speak, when they refer to themselves as one. Yes. Well, one would go... Yeah. <laughs> I love it because then everyone else just gives them a load of... Be- and then they go, what? That's just how it... And they're like, yeah, we know, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. I like it when someone pitches forward an idea as, oh, this isn't related to QI. Mm. But it was in a movie I was watching the other night. And they say, instead of just saying this is a thing, they think the idea is going to be too far-fetched. So they're like, hypothetically speaking. And it's yeah. like, you know, but you actually want a legit mm. answer. You don't want a hypothetical because That's you've actually right. done that. Usually, when you say hypothetically speaking, you have done the thing. You just don't want people to know that you've yeah, tried it. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. If, it's sort of like the I'm asking for a friend of yeah. the scientific community. <laughs> well, when I wrote my blog on Friday night, I wrote in a line somewhere. It's like, someone may have restarted all the computers in the station at the same time. It may not have been me. It's like, who else would it have been? I, I love using I may or may not have because it's yeah. got that comedic spin it on does. it. It does. It makes uh, it a little less serious as well. Yeah, that's right. It's a yeah. good way to have some light-hearted fun with a catastrophic failure. I, l- I learned to listen from what I did, so... Uh-huh. I'm not saying I won't repeat what, what, what I did. What lesson was that? Don't click a shiny button that says restart all, even though it looks pretty. <laughs> Check which computers are connected to the restart all first. I have a... Uh, among one group of uh, people that I play Dungeons & Dragons with, I am, I am the push the big red button guy. Yeah. I was, it was a nice red button, and it was kind of like blinking at me. Yep. I was like, oh, okay, and then we went off here, and I was like, what happened? Oh. And then like, I checked like every computer is restarting itself. I was like, I like that they're all linked, but oops. Yep. 
Yeah. Big oops. And of course, the two in the studio were as well, so I couldn't even like put some music on or mm-hmm. a different show on to play in the background. So I bet I bet there's some conspiracy theorists out there thinking that the aliens did it. The aliens did it. <laughs> so right, we had one phone call from a listener, and I was just like, "Yeah, no, that was me." So I was. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, I say it's like a technical issue when it is, and then other times when it's me making a blooper, it's like, "Yeah, no, that yep. was that was on me." Sorry about that. <laughs> I I want to hear, or I would love to hear or see a blooper reel of your whole time working <laughs> here. That would be so much fun. Oh yeah, if it was a visual one, that would be quite comical. Yeah. Some I, of the things I want to listen done. to my blooper reel for my horror stories again now. I'm still collecting some of those. That was, that was quite funny. I have about three on my desktop that I have to go through. I think I've gotten better. In the I last, think you don't. In the last couple that I've done, I haven't made as many blah, blah, blah No, mistakes. you haven't done comical mistakes. Yeah. When you've made a mistake, you just start again. It's like, well, that's not It's fun. mainly just me being angry that I messed up a really easy word. Or the ones where you say the same word over and over trying to get it right. Yeah. 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 But I will always blame Lovecraft for when I mess up a word right at the end because it's always at the end a paragraph long, which is why I've been trying to add dramatic pauses. It's yep. actually me just safeguarding myself. Yeah, so that you can start from that point. <laughs> it's all a trick. It's all yes. a scam. <laughs> so what uh, What other reviews and books do you have? Uh, so we've got Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times by mm. Catherine May. I thought this one sounded really good. Okay. Uh, winter can be a depressing season, more so when the world is hit by a pandemic and instead of enjoying the festive season with families, many are quarantined. How do you find hope in times like this? For May, everything happened almost at once. Her husband fell ill, her son stopped attending school and she had to leave her job due to some medical issues. Wintering shows how she endured and embraced those difficult times and used them as opportunities to learn. May's memoir may be able to teach us a thing or two. Oh, so it's also a uh, autobiography. Yeah. Cool. I think it sounds really good. Like, how often do does someone write about the really hard crap? Mm-hmm. Especially when it's recent. Like, you kind of do it years yeah. in the past where you can look on it with, like, your rose-tinted glasses yeah. and make it not as bad. It's good to have some reality every now and then. It is, but with that, with that little dash of dash of inspiration at the end, like yeah, yeah. like I got through it. You can too. I promise. Yeah, you're, you're I got through okay. it well enough to still be able to write a book at the end. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Why not? It's right. I've also got "The Sun Doth Shine" by Anthony Ray Hinton. It does indeed shine. It does indeed shine. It's not false. No. Uh, so this book isn't new, but it continues to inspire those who have read it. With 12 white jurors, a white judge, a white lawyer who's not committed to defend him, and a ballistics expert who's blind on one side, Anthony Ray Hinton was convicted and spent 30 long years on death row in Alabama for something he did not do. I know, right? Waiting outside the cell for his release were his beloved mother, who was suffering from cancer, and his most loyal friend, Lester, who tirelessly drove seven hours without fail for those 30 long years to visit him. Despite all the injustice and pain that Mr. Hinton had faced, he overcame them with humour and heart, despite his unforgiving circumstances. For those 30 long years, he found love, compassion, and joy by giving and giving and giving. There's so much to learn from this man. It's an inspiring must-read. Sounds good. I don't think I would be compassionate and joyful and giving after even one year of serving for something I didn't do. Um, I'm the same, and it's why I would never write a book like that. No. I'd never be able to. I'm also not sure I would have a friend that would drive seven hours without fail for 30 years because I'd probably become quite bitter and angry. Mm, it'd be hard to uh, to hold up any kind of hope. Yeah. But hey, if, uh, if Anthony can do it. Yep. And 
I am. I feel like the book actually probably does have a lot of inspiration and goodness in it. It would have because there would be all of it. Because once again, it sounds like it's an autobiography. Yeah. Um, it would have anecdotes of his time. It's not just giving. It won't be just because thirty years. That's a long time it's to a long time uh, to file away yeah, all of that information. Especially on death row. It's yeah. not like he was just in general population. I'm amazed. Thirty years on death row. Yeah, the death rows can last forever. It's, yeah, I don't quite oh, understand. I mean that judging by movies and documentaries I've seen. I don't know for a fact. <laughs> I, I, I think they can. They seem to. C- considering this guy, yeah. 30 years. It's almost like you can get put on death row, but then they have to prove something else to get you actually There's killed probably or something. Steps. This yeah. is not legal advice. <laughs> yeah, we're not Americans, so we don't actually know very, much about very Alabama to, law. That's an interesting thing that I always hear lawyers online say. They say, this is not legal advice. Mm. And even though it looks like it, the, the reason that it's not, because it's, it's the law, law, lawyer language again, mm. uh, it means that it, uh, you should not use it for your own... A case yeah. if you decide that you want to defend yourself. And also because they don't know your circumstances. Correct, and that's exactly the reason why, because they don't know your circumstance. They can't audit your case unless yeah. they are your lawyer. Yeah. yeah. We have a disclaimer at the start of one of our financial shows, oh. um, basically. Because, I mean, they give financial, general financial advice, yeah. but our disclaimer basically says get your own specific for your circumstance yep, financial advice, because you don't want anyone to do something and go, oh, but they said it. And then find that for them it was really not appropriate or not the best thing they could have done. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. And so next one is What Would Frida Do by Ariana Davis. Mm -hmm. An inspiring read about Frida Kahlo and her life as an artist, a wife and a friend. Most of all, a trailblazer who knew how to live live loud and proud, embracing her strengths, weaknesses and eccentricities. She married Diego, known for his philanthropy. I can't say that word. Philandering. No, philandering habits. Philandering. Yep. She divorced him and then married him again. All along, loving him with the same ferocity as the day she fell for him. Mm. Clearly, Frida lived her life to the full. Yes, she was a walking paradox, portrayed herself as one who was strong and determined, and yet her paintings showed otherwise. She declared her love for her husband, yet engaged in affairs womanly and feminine, yet also manly and masculine in her outfits. Mm. But did she care how she was seen by others? Never. I feel like that could be quite interesting as well. Yeah. I've never heard of Frida Kahlo. That's that's a good way to live. Yes. To just... See, I don't, I'm not so sure I'd want to marry a philandering guy and then divorce him and then marry him again. Mm. Mm. I feel like that's a bit unfortunate that that's who she loved, but at least she kept loving him. Isn't philandering related to philanthropy, which is... Giving to charity. I thought philandering was when you were cheating on people. That is uh, adultery. That is right. Anyway. Although I may, I may be entirely wrong. I, I just am think probably of, wrong. Uh, philanthropist, philandering. Yeah. I always just thought it was a bad word. Is it PHI? Yep. Okay, yeah, I think it's. Maybe gives it's to not a bad a thing then. Go here yeah. for liking a good guy. That I didn't realise. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Luke, for correcting Jill. <laughs> uh, and our last one is Think Like a Monk, Train Your Mind for Peace and Purpose Every Day by Jay Shetty. Uh, where, uh, what are you when you don't live up to your family's expectations? In Shetty's family, where success is measured by your ambition, Shetty was a failure because instead of attending his college graduation ceremony, he headed to India to become a monk to dedicate his life to serving others. 
In his book, Shetty Shows How, by thinking like a monk, we can reach our full potential and power. He uses his experience and transforms abstract lessons into advice and exercises we can all apply to reduce stress, improve relationships, and give the gifts we find ourselves we find in ourselves to the world. It's powerful, purposeful, and practical. Read this book to jumpstart your new year. Mm. Mm. So those reviews and suggestions were all by G J E E W on the Nerd Daily. That last one is a perfect. It's the perfect book to finally achieve your final form. Mm. I like the idea of it because I sometimes think that monks and stuff have a good idea and like the way they live and the mm. way they treat others. I think it's one of the better ways yeah. out of all the random religions that are out there. Sorry if you're religious and don't like me calling them random. <laughs> Apologies. Um, I feel like they do seem to be some of the better ones, the not, not so judgy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'd be able to become a monk. I'm I couldn't become one, but I could possibly put some of their ways of living yeah. more into my life than I, li- I have. I like trying to help others. I like trying to do that, but I like stuff too much. <laughs> yeah. I, I like my materialistic stuff mm-hmm. too much. I'm not going to lie about that. Nah. <laughs> I mean, I don't need the latest and greatest. I'm not that sort of person. That's right. But I, I definitely do but need we, stuff. We like our conveniences. We do. I like having a book on my bookshelf that I don't have to wait till the library's open to go and find it. <laughs> and then find someone else has it out and it makes me grumpy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're just waiting outside the doors every day for them to come in and... <laughs> and bring it back. Bring it back. I have once turned up at the library the day the book was due and waited for about three hours and they never returned. I went after work oh. and the library was still... And it wasn't back yet, so I waited and I waited and I waited because I didn't want to pay the reserve fee because I didn't have any money at the time. And they didn't bring it back. Wow. I was not happy. No one should get an overdue fund. They didn't renew it. They just didn't return it. Like, that was not acceptable. Very unacceptable. I had to wait. I waited like a week for that book. Wow. It was annoying. I hadn't started anything else because I really wanted to read it. That's that's a lifetime of of waiting. I could have read a whole book in that time. (laughs) You could have. You could have read one of your, what was it, 40 books. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I've, what do you have for us today? I've got today? some from, uh, from our, uh, I say our good friends. We don't know them. They don't know us. Brought to you by LitHub.com. Oh, they are our good friends. I think the Nerd Daily is my good friend. From, from the Bookmarks section. Not the Bookmarks Ooh. section. It's two different, yes. two words. Bookmarks. Uh, these are some of the best reviewed books Ooh. for the last little while. Uh, the Prophets by Robert Jones Jr. Yeah. Uh, David Canfield from Entertainment Weekly says of it, a grand achievement that pits love against cruelty and spares no detail in its brutal telling of the American past. Sets a tender queer romance on a harrowing plantation stage, tracking the action in lyrical, sensual detail. Jones's exacting depiction of slavery makes for, at times, excruciating reading. His focus on abuse is unyielding. Yet his prose feels powered by a softer emotional intensity. While the prophet's dreamy realism recalls the sorry dreary, I oh know it is dreamy <laughs> realism. He said, uh, recalls the work of Toni Morrison and Essie Edugian. Edugian, I think. Its penetrating focus on social dynamics stands out more singularly. 
Known as the founder of the Son of Baldwin social justice blog, Jones does does its namesake quite proud with his with this novel, a black story and a gay story, certainly, but one uh, that reaches far and wide in its interrogation of trauma, connection, and coexistence. Does sound so quite if, good. So, if you want a really hard hitting book, yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like that's one that when you put it down each day or whatever, you're not gonna say, "Go, oh, that makes me feel really the, good." It'll be, be like a wall. Like, I, I need to, I need to sit down. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll need a cheerful, maybe light hearted book after yeah. that one. So, the profits by Robert Jones Jr. Yeah, uh, we've got. Hey, the... randomly, that book is the one that Lit Hub recommended I read based mm-hmm. on my. Star sign. Wow. If you, oh, yeah, I saw if you that. find that article, it is worth a read because it is kind of funny how they've written up yeah. why the, you should read it. The one that it recommended for me, Aquarius, uh, was a post apocalyptic story, which is pretty on point. Yeah. Because it, it apparently, I can't remember the name of it, but it explores um, uh, people trying to do good for other people in the wake of. Uh, in the wake of a an apocalyptic event. No, wait, that book that book that you've just mentioned sounds good. The one you just reviewed was the one recommended for Ken, which is the most uh-huh. unken like book okay. I could imagine. The book recommended for me, which made me laugh, not the book itself, is the fact apparently Leos have an inner desire or dream to star in their own kind of like badass western thing they want to be outlaws so i had a book like that and it's like no no i'd rather be the goodie on the horse shooting (laughs) because everyone knows that the goodie with one shot kills the baddie the baddie fires his entire gun doesn't even hit the goodie yep so i don't want to be an outlaw all right yeah well you could be a good outlaw like robin hood (laughs) yeah i think he just like thieving to be honest neutral as you know, that's chaotic. It was just chaotic, to be honest. <clears throat> anyway, so next we've got book. The Liar's Dictionary by Ooh. Ellie Williams. Stuart Kelly from The Spectator says, Sheer joy. Although I, although I cantered through the book and welcomed its distraction during lockdown, there are enough hidden jokes and cunningly disguised rabbit holes to make one want to return to it. A novel of lists, alliterations, allusions, swirling meditations on language, dictionaries, gender, puns, linguistic jokes, text emojis, grawlixes, tilds, and even the author's own ne- neologisms. Yes. Yeah. That was the word that I was having trouble earlier today. Neologisms? Um, yeah, neologisms. Uh, he, yeah, he says, uh, even the author's own neologisms, I, ha- I shall use splayground henceforth. Which is not a real word. It's a word that the author used in this book. Hmm. As such, it will endear itself to cruciverbalists and lingu-eccentrics, pedants and those who hate pedantry, but, and it judiciously uses Dr. Johnson's definition of the novel, A Small Tale Generally of Love, it has heart as well as hijinks and hi-hats. It deals with love as something which cannot be put into words and dare not speak its name, done neither stridently nor sentimentally. It is, in short, a delight. It sounds like a book full of big words. So, The Liar's Dictionary by Ali Williams. Super cool. So, I looked up a couple of the terms. Grawlix. I had to look up what that was. Is it from Harry Potter? G-R-A-W-L-I-X. It sounds like a Harry it Potter word. It does sound word. like a Harry Potter word. But a Grawlix is when you use symbols in place of letters when writing things like swear words. You know, oh, like an ampersand, yeah. and yet symbol. And like you do the S and then you do a few other, yeah, yeah, yeah. other characters. Yep, that's what a Grawlix is. Hmm. Uh, a neologism is quite literally being a new expression. Something that mm. it's, it's a made-up word 
which I have a whole list of neologisms <laughs> that I have uh, that I've gathered, which have cropped up over the years or centuries. Okay. To be so I'm very excited about getting to that. Our third book in this list is The Push by Ashley Audrain. Claire Martin with the New York Times book review says, Taut, chilling. Blythe's postpartum experience is familiar and Audrain renders it flawlessly. Audrain has a gift for capturing the seemingly small moments that speak volumes about relationships. Audrain conjures the disintegration of marriage along with the legacy of intergenerational trauma and the pain of parental grief. So movingly that the that the extent to which Blythe goes off the rails doesn't seem that far-fetched. Blythe is obviously the character in it. Occasionally, the second person gets repetitive, and I found myself longing to hear Fox's voice, or anyone else's really. But the chapters examining Blythe's family past provide texture, and the narrative feels more balanced once Fox's partner is tricked into dishing on their life, even asking Blythe for parenting advice. Finally, someone thinks she's a good mother. So if you want a real family trauma, family strife book, well, then uh, then The Push by mm, Ashley Audrain is what you want to go, go for. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I'd read that. I think I'm too, uh, I'm too married to sci-fi and fantasy mm. and fi- uh, I was about to say real fiction, but this is real fiction. Yeah. Things that are not grounded in reality. No, I was going to say. Not to the extent that it's not grounded at all, but it has like really crazy things going on. Yeah, I quite like, you know, like the fantasy and stuff where there are unexplainable stuff that yeah. it's just everyday life for them kind of thing. And I'm not always the biggest fan of stuff set in normal life yeah these sorts of stories i like watching in a tv series or a Mm, film yes because the actors you can see the uh the emotion that they go through they're often the characters that i fall in love with the most although i like watching fantasy and sci-fi i don't always fall in love with the characters as Mm. much as in the dramas and the comedies and whatnot sci-fi and fantasy i like it for the world Yes, and the things and that, that you outfits. can do in there with oh, the outfits I love are the great. outfit, costuming. It's so much fun looking back on old sci-fi films yes. to be like, oh yeah, this is totally what we'll wear in the future. Yeah, <laughs> I like that, and I like looking back on like all the vampire type movies and werewolf movies made in like the nineties and two thousands mm. with the typical tight leather pants, yep. all of that, and it's like, oh yeah, because you know, girls love being in that much <laughs> suffocating skin tight yep. leather. We love it. Yeah. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not letting uh, Jareth get away with uh, David Bowie's portrayal of him. <laughs> Labyrinth Man. I, mean, it's, I love the Labyrinth. It, it's a good film, but it's it's a little bit off-putting for me. I'm not a huge fan. I like it because I'm, I'm just I not love out of, Bowie in it. It's, it's nothing against David Bowie. Perfectly talented man. Yeah. Perfectly talented man. <laughs> um, but musicals, it's just. Not, not for me. For you. Not for me. Was, da- I fell in love with Bowie in The Labyrinth. Oh yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people. His music before that was just music, it and was then when I saw, probably, it, I was like, "Oh my god!" Honestly, I feel like it was a sexual awakening for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people uh, across the spectrum. I would have been too young for it to be there when I first watched it. I just remember thinking he was so cool. Right. And then, like as I got older, it's like, yeah, no, he's like, yes, yeah. he's, he's hot. Yeah. 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 I want. I won't deny that. He was no. a good-looking dude. He was. He pulled off the weird look as well, he quite did. well. A I lot lo- of people wouldn't have been able to do it. I love that image of him with like the lightning bolts yes. face paint. Very, yes. very iconic. Yeah. So the next book we have in this is A Lie Someone Told You About Yourself 
by Ooh. Peter Ho Davies. Alexis Burling with the San Francisco Chronicle says, Piercing and expansive. A Lie, the book, isn't only a novel about the shame, sorrow, and yes, relief that sometimes accompanies an abortion decision. Ooh. Davies also tackles what comes next in painstaking detail. While this synopsis might sound like yet another run-of-the-mill ode to parenting story, albeit with an abortion lead-in, it's quite the opposite. Because the book is told in third person from the bumbling father's unsentimental and often painfully honest point of view, and of, also of note is Davies' stark and refreshingly realistic portrait of the couple's marriage, a deftly wit- witten, written, <laughs> bittersweet and thought-provoking book. Is it non-fiction or fiction? Uh, as far as I can tell, this is a fiction story. Okay. Um, I feel like we need to record a, uh, a content warning for the beginning of this, um, this episode. I think that's fine. You didn't explain what happens. If you're reading the book, <clears throat> there's a content warning yeah. that you need to place on yourself before you read yeah, it. Probably. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, in terms of like the mention of it, some people can be very mm. uh, severely affected by it. I feel like it's, uh, it's a very brave topic yeah. for him to choose to write hard, about. It's, hard to deal with. Yeah, especially to choose to write it from the husband's point of view. Yeah. Like, I think that's a good thing. Yep. Um uh, I mean, it is. It's written by a man. Yeah. So I think that a man trying to get a woman's point of view that'll be really hard to do unless it you would. had someone actually. It would, but I mean, even if you knew someone that had gone through it, you would be. You wouldn't really have their point of view. You'd have That's just correct. what they told you. So yeah, I think I think that would be a useful. I, I think a useful book. I mean, every book, to be honest, is useful in some way, in its shape, or form. Way. Yeah. Uh, I think. Um, I can't remember I've mentioned it, but I was watching a live stream and someone said, um, uh, what what books do you think everyone should read? And he just said, all of them. Yeah, every book. He said, I think everyone should read every book, ever. I always, <laughs> I get annoyed as well with like growing ups that think that they don't need to read kids' books anymore. It's like, no, there are some good kids' books that tackle some really hard issues, but quite well. There are some adults that need their morals refreshed. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> kids' picture books are quite... There's always cool things coming out, yeah. and they usually have a bit of a moral or a something yeah. or other in and there. And some of them are just fun. My sister got one for our, for her son. Uh, I think it's called Stanley the Stan the Stinkosaurus, <laughs> and it came with a uh, with a musical track yeah. that sings through the story. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it was really really cool. I feel like with the kids' books, you know, when you get the touchy-feely ones, mm. I feel like if you don't touch and feel all the stuff in there, there's something wrong with You've you. You've got to get involved. You're broken if you don't go, oh, it's shiny, and then it's you rub shiny, it. It's shiny, or it's fluffy, or yeah. it's furry. Or it's like bumpy when it's the tongue or whatever. You've yeah. got to... Normal people, in my mind, act like their children when they read those oh, books, yeah. and they test everything and out. And also, if you see a scratch and sniff, you're going to scratch yeah. and sniff that thing, no yeah. matter what it is. And if you've got the, um, <laughs> you know, the books with the movie things, where you like pull a lever or whatever, yes. they're like, oh, well, you've got to do that. I, I had an old Thomas the Tank Engine pop-up book mm. that had all these different adventures, terribly old now. Yeah. I gave it to Beth. Yep. For for her daughter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it has Thomas doing all yep. of these things. There was a a, a little string mm. inside the book because the crane comes along and you can lift the train uh, yep. up a little bit because you're 
taking it off of because uh, yep. it fell off the oh, off the track. Oh, you bring it back on the track. Yeah, that's cool. Super cool book. I have one called Teddy's Christmas, and it's a sad. Well, it's a happy book, but it's got a lot of sad before it gets to the happy. It's mm-hmm. a little kids' book with the things you can dress Teddy in everything. <gasps> like you pull oh. open his wardrobe and you put on his little clothes. Is it is it stored sort of in the page? Yeah, and there's like a wardrobe that you like slide them in and out of. I see. Yeah. yeah. Um, and basically the story is that Teddy on Christmas Day goes to visit all his friends to give them Christmas cards and no one's home and he's getting sadder and sadder and then when he gets home they're all at his house waiting to have a party so it was really nice at the end but as you're going through you're like no one's home oh no that's good yeah so we've got uh, we've got Outlawed by Anna North Mm -hmm. from Maureen Corigna with NPR she says of it Talking to friends this past week, I've described Anna North's new novel, Outlawed, as The Handmaid's Tale meets Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He did not enjoy The Handmaid's Tale. Um, Outlawed, in this quick summary, can sound gimmicky, but there's much more going on in this smart adventure tale than just a slight upending of the traditional western, rooted in macho individualism and violence. For all the ways North ingeniously stretches the limits of the genre, she's also clearly a fan, most of all though, it's the affecting character of Ada who's the steady draw here. For Ada and the other outlaws of this spirited novel, the frontiers of gender and sexuality beckon to be explored. Sounds quite interesting. Yeah. It sounds more interesting than Handmaid's Tale. So uh, this one is Exercised, Why Something We Never Evolved to Do is Healthy and Rewarding, by Daniel Lieberman. So wait, we're not meant to exercise? Uh, we never like in evolved. in the original plan. Uh, from the title, it's like we never evolved to have to, to have to do it because we were always we were well, we always did it. Because we, we always, always did, did it. it. But we never evolved to sort of teach we ourselves. We never adapted to the fact <clears throat> we have desk jobs and we drive to work. Yeah. So Barbara J. King with NPR said, Riveting, an, ir- an irresistible aspect of exercise is Lieberman's fir- firm stance that no shame or stigma be attached to those who find it challenging to sustain an exercise program. Another exceptionally informative part of the book discusses the damage and repair cycle brought on by exercise. Lieberman explains more clearly than I've ever read what exercise does to the body and how the body then begins to repair itself afterwards. Written in a warm, sometimes dryly amusing tone that's highly appealing. Colourful personal stories enliven the book. Lieberman makes a superb guide for anyone wishing to understand why it can be hard to commit to exercising and why we should do it anyway. That could be a useful book for so many people. Yeah, me. And me. (laughs) I mean, I made the big-ass call to quit the gym because I wasn't going. Right. I mean, going back just seemed way more hard than sending them an email going, I'm going to (laughs) quit. Luke forgot to put his phone on silent. That was, that was Kyla. Hi, Kyla. <laughs> I'm going to do it now. Um, but right, no, that get, does sound like that a... Out. We're not gonna no, out. we're not going to edit that out. That <laughs> does sound like a good book, though. Yep. Um, I wonder if it's easy to read or if it's one... You know how you sometimes get a book that sounds like it's going to be amazing and mm. then you start reading and it's like there's too many words well, the way, and you're not getting to the points quick enough? The way that this, is, uh, that this review has been done, um, that Barbara wrote, is that... It has the ex- the explainy part, mm. but it's mixed in with humour and anecdotes and stuff mm. like that. I love hearing stories about what people have gotten up to. 
Yeah, me too. Especially because most anecdotal stories are the comedic kind. It's not like you tell a little anecdote and it's a successful went to the gym and ran on the treadmill like that. It would just be boring. (laughs) It would be the went to the gym, dropped my iPhone as I was running and it shot off and hit my personal trainer in the leg, which may or may not be a personal story. (laughs) May or may not be. You can't prove anything. And my personal trainer doesn't work at that gym anymore, so no one can prove it. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I don't think we have that over here. There are there there are more reviews, but head over to lithub.com yep. and tell them what's you. They have a good amount of reviews yes. on there, look. Yes, mm. I love LitHub. They've got some great stuff. And I follow them on Twitter now, and I yeah. uh, interact yeah, with their I've posts. Yeah, and... some of them on Twitter. Yeah. The, the Nerd Daily, if anyone's looking for a website that does a bit of it, does movies and TV and games and everything, yeah. which is pretty good. Yeah, I'm trying um, to stay away from just bringing game news to this. Yeah, <laughs> I was reading there the um, most, it wasn't the top ones, it was like the most interactive or fun Nintendo Switch games of last oh, year. I was like, oh, yes. my brother needs to buy some of these. My, uh, my, my uh, younger sister, she just got Animal Crossing for her Switch. Oh, it's on the list. Um, it and it's because she she wanted to get it because she'd gotten some money for Christmas, yeah, and she wanted to get a game, and um, she was going to be getting the Crash Crash Team Racing, yeah, um, one, but she got given that for Christmas as well. Nice, and so she really wanted to get a game. I can't remember the other one that she wanted because uh, I was suggesting to her Untitled Goose Game, mm-hmm. which is. The most wonderful game. My brother got that based on my telling him that you recommended it. It's what does he think of it? It was funny watching him try and play it before he got the hang of stuff. <laughs> he had some creative words to describe. <laughs> but it's so much fun, so isn't much it? Fun. It's so cool. You've got a dedicated honk button. I know. <laughs> There's like, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like Diddy Kong Racing is because you can turn the horns into their voices. So when I'm Timber, who was always Timber, his horn would go, grr, grr, grr. Because <laughs> he's a tiger and he wanted we, you to get out of the way. We need to play that. We do need to play we that. We need to jam that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're free this Friday, then we'll do a little yep. bit of that and then we'll yes. do Musketeers. We can do that. So, uh, yeah, once again, if you want to read the rest of the reviews for that article, go yep. lithub.com. Uh, in general, go to lithub.com. Yes. Yeah. It's that's, a really good website. Good. It's a good website. Uh, and they've got all these different sections. They've got podcasts. They've got reviews. Yeah. They've got recommendations. Um, one thing I forgot to say when I was doing my one, the book What Would Frida Do by Ariana Davis. Mm-hmm. On the Nerd Daily, there's an actual full-on interview with the author <gasps> on that one. Oh, wow. She might explain philandering. Ooh. I might, go, I might listen yeah. to that at work tomorrow. So um, I think it's a written one. I mean, what I focus all the time at work, I don't... No, I do. I listen to all sorts of stuff. I don't possibly (laughs) ever not work at work. Yep. (laughs) I I don't know what you were trying to get out of I have no idea. I listened to our interview with Kayla while I was working today. Mm -hmm. Kyla, even. Sorry, Kyla. (laughs) (laughs) My brain switched off I'm not surprised because her surname uh, is Ian. Because she's got uh, Swedish roots, I think. Yeah. Uh, whereas I have uh, uh, French roots, Maton. Um, my my uncle, my dad's brother. Um, I think my my dad usually listens to these, so you can play him this part, Dad. Uh, my uncle always um, insists whenever we say Maton, he goes, "No, it's Maton." He takes it really seriously, or he doesn't. I can't tell at this point. There's <laughs> we're Scottish with our surname Miller. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how none of us actually say it properly because we're technically Miller and we all say Miller. Miller. 
which is no. the AR, but with the ER well, that's, version. You know, that's the uh, New Zealanders for you. Yeah. We're lazy. Yeah. And <laughs> I still remember the day me and mum had, it was far more in-depth than it should have been, mm-hmm. discussion on if I was to marry someone with the surname Miller, but it was AR, would I change my name? Hmm. And I don't think I could. I don't like that spelling. It's gross. I've seen it a fair few times in the records. Yeah, it's... It's not as common as AR, but it's still pretty common over mm. here. But to me, I, I don't think I could write AR. I would keep it as Miller, but tell everyone that it's spelled AR. So oh, when no. they that when they eventually see your name written down, they go, hold on a second. My suggestion was to hyphenate so we could be Miller Miller. Miller Miller. <laughs> and then we'd obviously name a kid Miller, so it was Miller Miller Miller. Oh, no. We're not cruel people at all. No, not at all. Not even a little. <laughs> Anyway. So, uh, because there was the mention of neologisms, um, I thought, you know what? That's Those are fun. They I'm, do sound fun. I'm going to have a look and see what sorts of neologisms have turned up across human history. Are there ones in there that we would be surprised about? Yes. Surely there should the be. the age of how long ago they actually originated, I think wow. you're going to get surprised. Isn't it longer ago than we thought, or it's way more long recent? Long ago. Wow. Yep. Okay, go for it. So uh, this comes from unicheck.com. And then as I was going through them, I was uh, looking up uh, other sources, uh, Wikipedia. People crap on Wikipedia a lot, but they are so strict. Wikipedia is, I think it's a valid place to go for information as long as the fact you're using has been cited somewhere. Yeah, that's the, and, but that's the thing about Wikipedia. People say, oh, really? You got it from Wikipedia? Do you know how strict yeah. they are? And you like, change one thing and they come down on you like a There's like a, like a massive disclaimer at the top if they don't think it's got enough proof and that's it says right. this may not be like yep. full fact. Do I your s- own research. I saw someone make a comment where they were talking about this because uh, they they had this big, huge, like paragraph long rant about how people uh, give give a load to w- Wikipedia. But he said I was trying to change a word to this spelling, and that I was back and forth in emails with mm. them for months before they let me change it because I finally gave them enough proof yeah. that it was actually spelled that way. Mm. So Wikipedia is, it's a solid source of info. It is. But if you want the really detailed stuff, if you want to go into even more detail, then yeah, go somewhere else. Yeah, and if you're a student writing an essay, don't quote Wikipedia. Go to where the actual fact was That's right. Go to Wikipedia and then go to the references bit at the bottom. and use that. And use that. Yeah. And then, you know, put in your own words and do all that sort of stuff. So we've got a banana republic. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of that term before. Uh, it was coined by O. Henry in his book of collected works, Cabbages and Kings, which refers to a politically unstable country dependent on a product exported. Bananas, for example. I have a book by O. Henry at home. Okay. Random fact That's cool. for you. Yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, also Beatnik. That word's been around for ages, hasn't it? It's been around for a while. Uh, so uh, a little bit of uh, backstory. You've got uh, Jack... Kerouac, yep. K-E-R-O-U-A-C, invented the Beat Generation, yep. which was a literary movement started by authors who explored and influenced American culture in the post-war era, so we're looking at 1950s. Uh, Beatnik came about when it was suggested by Herb Kane, a San Francisco columnist, as a word similar to the Russian Sputnik. Hmm. A Beatnik in this case referring to a person associated with the Beat Generation. That makes sense. Yeah, and that's what a Beatnik is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew what a Beatnik was. I knew what the Beat Generation was. I just 
didn't know it was a... Cre- I mean, obviously, it's a created word, but don't stop and think about the fact yeah. it's a created word. But but what we do on the show, we explore... We, we ex- and we educate, we, we not learn, just we educate. ourselves, but everyone. Absolutely right, because all this stuff, I did this all today. Yeah. I, I didn't learn this week ago. This is still fresh in my mind. So we've got cyberspace. So we're that well-prepared, guys. Yeah. We've got <laughs> cyberspace. What year do you think that um, came from? The internet's been around longer than we think, eh? Uh, it's yeah. It was in its infancy in like the seventies. I would say cyberspace has been around since the mid nineties. Okay, so this was coined by William Gibson in a short story, but it became much more prominent once his cyberpunk novel Neuromancer was published, mm. and that was, I believe, in seventy two. I think. So it was way before the internet is what it meant. It would have uh, referred to like a science fictiony thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, because Neuromancer is. Mm. It, it, it's what started the cyberpunk genre. Yeah. Essentially. Uh, there are other aspects to that, but we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> um, freelance. Freelance. How long do you think is uh, it, that's in, been around? In relation to journalism, or like did it mean something first? Like, uh, like you're freelancing for something. Ages. Um, what, uh, what decade? I'd say the 30s. Uh, this appeared thanks to Walter Scott's novel Ivanhoe, to help you realise just how old this term is, Walter Scott died in 1832. I was right with the 30s. <laughs> you did get the 30. You were just the wrong century. How do you know what century I was thinking? You oh, can't read my mind. Oh, come on now. The 15th. No. <laughs> but yeah, 1832 is when Walter Scott died. Hmm. Uh, he was born in 1778, I think. Um, yeah, and it was used in uh, in his novel, Ivanhoe. Hmm. I suppose it would... It would have been long ago that people started having like jobs as such. Because before, if you were just a farmer, you were just a farmer. It wasn't considered a job. So you can't freelance if you're but not But once cities working. started getting more expensive, yeah. and journalism then once you started, more common. And once you started picking what you wanted to do as opposed to right. your family did it, so that's what you're doing. Expand. Yeah. So we've got hard-boiled. Uh, in context, of course, this is referring to the traits of a character in a story. So it's like the hard-boiled police officer i've never seen or heard that well it's an entire genre it's called the hard-boiled genre really? uh, after this description became popular the hard-boiled fiction genre appeared and it refers to a detective story where a cool cynical detective deals with crimes i have not encountered that genre in my 35 years <laughs> i i didn't get the um i didn't get the uh the the year for this uh, I didn't get it for all of them because there was there was a lot of information going around and I didn't want to even give information and then go, it might be wrong. I was uh, going to say, and then you run into the... Someone else could go, well, actually, this person used it a few years before. Or, right. oh, no, they used it. It didn't take off at that use or yeah. whatever. As as with every... With this and digital world, um, I will always say, um, go and look this up. Yeah. Um, don't believe everything here, even what we say. Yes. If you're interested in it, and if, if you have an even tiny inkling, yeah. oh, I think you're wrong, go and look it up. Yeah. And Send us an email. Feel free to tell us if we have got it wrong. Yeah, yell at us on the street. I'm stuck for attention. Maybe Please yell at me. Luke. I don't like being yelled at. <laughs> Come up and give me a hug and then tell me I'm wrong. That would be much more preferred. Yeah. While they're hugging you, you were wrong about it. <laughs> it's fine. That would be the creepiest thing And ever. then with you, they're just like, oi, you're wrong, Luke. And you'd probably be like, about what now? Yeah, that's normal. <laughs> So we've got Butterfingers. Butterfingers. Butterfingers was a neologism. Uh, it came about from Charles Dickens. Good old Charles Dickens. It was in the posthumous papers of the Pickwick Book Club. 
by Charles Dickens. I have a vague feeling I have the BBC something or other on DVD of that. Mm. Back in 1836. Uh, And the quote goes, And as every boy in the world knows, it is a great disgrace to be called Butterfingers. I can totally see the Charles Dickens thing with the as every boy would know. Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly, yes, certainly. I know, right? Narrated by there's, Stephen Fry. Certain <laughs> phrases that just go with that. Yeah. We've got chortle. Ch- like the chuckling chortle. As you might imagine, this is a combination of chuckle and snort. I like so it. So it's when you do the sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's chortling. Uh, it was invented by the very talented and very well-known author who wrote uh, the Narnia books. Oh, really? Lewis Carroll came up with the term chortle. In the Narnia books or in a different I book? don't know if it was in the Narnia books, but it is attributed to Lewis Carroll hmm. being the one to, uh, to bring it up. Uh, doormat. Doormat. And not in the physical object. No, in the person being a doormat. But when you're doormat. treated like a doormat or, oh, they were, they, we walked over them like a doormat. Yeah. Uh, another one from Dickens. Okay. Uh, it was used in Great Expectations. I wouldn't have thought it was that old. Mm. Uh, the quote goes, His rookie flailing set back the peace process, such as it was, and made him look like a doormat. Yep. Very Dickensy. Very Dickensy. So, factoid. Factoid. Do you know what factoid means? I think it's one of those things I've heard and just assumed, but don't actually know what it means. What do you think it means from the like, from the it's name just alone? Like an interesting fact or piece, of, like a nugget of info. Yep, but there's a twist mm. because I didn't know this because I thought that factoid was uh, when when you're reading a newspaper and there's just a tiny little bit and you go, oh, it's a little factoid because it's a little tiny yeah. fact. The term was introduced by Norman Mailer, an American novelist born in 1923. Uh, he lived until 2007. Mm-hmm. It refers to a source of information that has been reported so many times that it becomes accepted as true, even if it isn't, and it almost always is not true. Wow. Yep. So if they said, say, um, you looked at a pair of green curtains and they kept saying they're blue, they're blue yeah. curtains. I mean, there must be heaps of facts like that that nobody double checks. Yeah, that's like, right. Like, I mean... Apparently, the guy that wrote Peter Pan invented the name Wendy. I wouldn't have a clue if that's true or not. I tell people because it's a cool fact. Yeah. But it might not be a fact. It's a factoid. It might be a fact or it might be a factoid. We don't know. At the moment, it's it's Schrodinger's factoid. Yeah. It it is true and it isn't true until we figure out whether or not it's true. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool, though. Yeah. Uh, this This is one that really interested me. Feminist. Feminist. This comes from the French feminist. I would feminist. assume it's been around longer than the feminist movement. Uh, when did it first start? That was in it was in the late eighteen nineties. Was or did uh, the feminist movement come about in the nineteen? No, yeah, because it was mm-hmm. around like um in the uh, Wild West. Yeah, uh, it, it was around. So it comes from the French feminist, thanks to an author from that very country. Which mm-hmm. one do you think? What, the country? I'm guessing uh, France. From France, but who do you think the author is? <laughs> I don't know or if I... Or was. 
Alexandra Dumas. Oh, the, the author man. of such works as The Count of Monte Cristo, 20 Years After, and The Three Musketeers. I was right in that it was around before yep. the feminist movement. Yeah. Um, and fun little fact for people who don't know, because I found this quite interesting. D'Artagnan was based on Charles de Bas de Castlemore d'Artagnan, a real actual person who served Louis XIV as a musketeer. D'Artagnan meaning from Artagnan, which is a village in southwest France. I believe the other three are all based on people as, or yeah. like a mix of people yeah. as well. Uh, um, but I like, I like um, that name. It's a great yeah. name. Charles de Bar de Castlemore d'Artagnan. I'm probably saying that wrong. Meme. Meme. Likely the most well-known neologism of the last decade, or couple of decades. Oh, yeah. uh, it was, however, coined in 1976 in Richard Dawkins' book, The Selfish Gene. And it refers to a unit of cultural information spread by imitation. I mean, it applies for what a meme means now, but it I does. don't imagine that's what he envisioned it being assigned to when he wrote the book. Te- in, in technical terms, it means what we know them as now. You know, top text, mm. bottom text, funny image. Yeah. That is a meme. It is a because meme. Because it's been replicated and imitated yeah. in various ways. It is a meme. And generally, they have a bunch of different varieties of top and bottom words. We've got uh, Oxbridge. Introduced as the name for a fictional institution in William Thackeray's novel Pendennis, published in 1850. Virginia Woolf, author of works such as To the Lighthouse, Mrs. Dalloway and Orlando, cited it in her 1929 essay A Room of One's Own. Oxbridge itself is actually both a neologism and a portmanteau, combining Oxford and Cambridge. Mm. Uh, So when you want to refer to them both at once, you would say Oxbridge. Nice. 1850. Uh, Can you imagine that we used to not have a word for someone who walks on foot? What? We didn't until 1716. So I'm guessing we all just did it, but we didn't have a word for it. We did it, but there wasn't a word for it. When William Wordsworth, a poet who coined the term pedestrian. Oh, wow. Derived from the Latin pedester, meaning going on foot. How cool! Seventeen sixteen, and like we use it all the time now. We use it all the and yet time. No now. one would know who came up with it. Absolutely right. Uh, until you listen to this show. Yeah. Uh, in a similar manner, we had no term for someone who dealt with science. It wasn't until eighteen thirty four when William Wewell wrote the philosophy of the inductive sciences, where, as a professor of the history of medicine at the University of Michigan, Howard Markle put it. He thought there's a lot of consilience, consilience meaning a principle that uh, evidence from independent, unrelated sources can converge on strong conclusions. Uh, He goes on to say, in other words, he came up with a lot of jumping together of all fields of science, and we ought to come up with a word that refers to all of them. He came up with a few terms, he thought savant or men of learning, but he apparently dismissed that for being presumptuous and French. Uh, He also considered the German term Naturforscher, which is really naturalist, but he worried that some might make fun of that term, calling it nature poker or nature peeper, but eventually came up with, uh, by analogy with with artist, that they might use the word scientist. He said, you know, I think this is a word a cultivator of science in general ought to be called a scientist. I like how much thought went into that. Yeah. And I like that he discarded man of learning yeah, because it could have been a woman. That's right. Absolutely. Like, Mary put, Curie. Yeah, he put a whole <laughs> bunch of thought into that. Uh, among many, we've got a few more, but that is all of the time we have. Yep. You're going to have to wait until next episode to find out about workaholic Twitter and Yahoo.
or go and Google neologisms. Neologisms. That was close. <laughs> potato, potato. Like, like a, I said before the show, it took me about five tries when I was uh, writing this up to go, how do you, neologia? <laughs> I would have Googled how do you say and then typed I, it in. I like, the, I like the challenge of trying to do it myself. Uh, as much as I Google pretty much everything else whenever I have a little bit of trouble. I Googled once how to say something. I was trying to head to some company in... Um, Spatial? <laughs> no, I used Siri so that I could ask her rather than type it in. Mm-hmm. But no, there's a, um, a company that I had to do an ad for, not here, it's somewhere else. And okay. I was like a French or Swiss or something oh, company. Cool. And it's like, I thought I knew how to say it, but I Googled yeah. it just to make sure I had their pronunciation mm. correct. Well, there you go. Yeah. So that this was study and literacy. It I have was. been Luke. I will now dissipate into the ether. Don't worry, he'll be back same time, same place next week Goodbye. to be Luke again. Um, I will stay Jill, so if you need to get in touch, just ignore Luke. It'll be fine. See you all next time. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.